Welcome to Scope of Practice, a podcast that opens a window for an inside look into different practice groups and the lives of attorneys in those groups here at Ropes & Gray. I'm Yoni Levy, an associate in our asset management group based in Boston. On this episode, I'm joined by Kyle Higley, who was recently promoted to partner in our Employment, Executive Compensation, and Benefits group, and is also based in Boston. Hi, Kyle. Welcome and congratulations. Hey, Yoni. Excited to do this. Yeah, yeah. Very excited to have you on. I've had the pleasure of speaking with a few of our colleagues before, and I have to admit, in practice areas that I'm a bit more familiar with than benefits, so I'm excited to learn a bit more about your practice alongside the listeners here. Maybe you could start by telling us a bit of background about yourself and your practice at Ropes and & Gray and, and how you wound up where you are. When I went to law school, I had no idea what kind of law I wanted to practice. I, I kind of had a vague sense that I was better suited to uh, like transactional-type work than litigation. In law school, I took a wide variety of courses, but I really liked the tax courses I took, and I gravitated more to that area. And in order to help uh, get more expertise, my law school only offered, I think, two tax classes. I took them both, but I was interested in learning more, and taxes are really complex subject matter. So I I did a a tax LLM immediately following law school. Uh, I ended up at a smaller firm in Boston doing about 50% pure tax work, and it was mostly uh, bankruptcy-related tax, and 50%, uh, they called it the ERISA practice, which was employee benefits, a lot in the, the bankruptcy context, and then executive compensation and some employment law questions. And I, at the time, I was really like, not that interested in that part of the practice. I, I kind of viewed it as something I, I had to do temporarily in order to uh, get my get a job at a firm I wanted to work at and to ultimately uh, kind of gravitate more toward tax. And I ended up liking it, uh, liking the, the, quote, ERISA side of the practice and especially like the, the executive compensation work. I was there for, I guess, like two and a half years, and then I, I started looking for opportunities around town to really specialize in executive compensation and move away from tax. And that's when I joined Ropes, and I, I came in in the executive compensation practice, and our, our practice is uh, broader than that. It, it kind of encompasses executive compensation, which is, I, I think of it as, kind of like a mix of tax law and securities law. And then it also has uh, a em- pure employment practice, like labor and employment, and uh, a more traditional like employee benefits practice, which deals mostly with ERISA. And in the group, like everyone touches on all three, but as you get more senior, you tend to gravitate toward one of those uh subfields, and I, I've gravitated more toward the executive compensation area. And what I personally like about it is it has some of the technical aspects of tax law, which I liked, but it also has more of a, a practicality about it, and it, it feels more um, kind of concrete because you're dealing with employees and people 
tend to be more invested in employees when you're talking about individuals than they are in kind of pie-in-the-sky tax law ideas. Wow, yeah, lots to unpack there. Um, First, let me just say for people listening who might not know what ERISA is, it's the Employer Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, which is a federal law that sets standards for voluntarily established retirement and health plans in the private industry to sort of provide a layer of protection for those plans. And so there are rules that govern those plans that are quite complicated, and that's what, quote-unquote, ERISA lawyers are are focused on. Uh, And my understanding, though, please correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, is that those rules are actually a subset of the tax code. Is that right? There are two places. ERISA is like a a separately codified but there are a number of tax code-related provisions as well. So it's kind of like a mix of both. And ERISA was put into place in the early 70s when people had more traditional pension plans of the kind of variety of, you know, if you work for a company and you're there for 30 years, then they will pay you some percentage of your salary for the rest of your life. And... As that has gone away and the industry has moved more toward like 401k-type retirement plans, which are significantly less complex, it has become of less importance. So it's, you know, I think there's probably a diminishing number of pure ERISA lawyers. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear then that the group is sort of focused on a few practice areas and ERISA, while some other firms, it sounds like, focus a large part of their practice on ERISA, at least in name, the group at Ropes and Gray is sort of diversified across a few subgroups. And I think you're housed within the same department as tax. Is that right? Yes, we're we're in the same broad department. And there's there's a fair amount of overlap. And, and what the majority of the people in our group do are work on M&A transactions. So there's there's a lot of coordination with our our corporate teams and our uh, tax teams and even our kind of subgroups within the group uh, to make sure we have all bases covered in these M&A transactions. Say there's an M&A transaction, what role are you playing at? What, what, both substantively and procedurally, what, what kind of stuff are you substantively looking at and where does your role fit into the overall transaction? Yeah, so, so there are a few different kind of aspects of it, and it depends in part on who our client is, where we we as a firm do a lot of work for private equity funds that essentially just buy and sell businesses, and they're involved at a high level. We're really looking to, one, like give our clients a sense of uh, what the state of play is before the acquisition, as well as any material risks. Any potential like landmines down the road in terms of liability relating to our profits area. And you can kind of look for cost savings opportunities uh, in, when you're looking at how much those various programs cost. And the, those M&A advisors will have a sense of what the market is, and it can be you know, small cost savings opportunities like, you know, we... We offer our employees health insurance through Cigna, but if we switch to Blue Shield, we'll save you know ten thousand dollars a year. Or it can be more significant, where you're you're thinking about like consolidating offices, or instead of getting third-party insurers to cover your risks, you you cover those risks 
yourself and take the risk that claims will be less than you would pay insurers. And then in terms of like the documentation, we're usually involved in like negotiating the purchase agreement. And we're part of the the larger M&A team on that type of stuff. When we look at a few provisions in the purchase agreements, mainly relating to what's happening to compensation and benefits in the transaction, if anything. And we usually coordinate with the tax team to get those details right and work on the related documentation. Other types of deals, there are different considerations. Like if our client is a company that has a business and and does something, then there's also an additional kind of layer on things about how you integrate those businesses together. There are all sorts of like little details that that fall under that workforce integration umbrella. There's a lot of stuff in there that's not necessarily legal. It's more just uh, kind of being at the table and uh, with the business people and trying to figure out what makes sense from a business perspective. And we're there because like we we have our our eyes on the kind of legal guardrails of where they're not allowed to go, but usually most things fall between those lines, and it just becomes a, a question of like what makes sense from a business perspective. Yeah, interesting. We're we're all you know, subject matter experts to some degree, but, you know, maybe tax and that executive comp and benefits probably more so than others is very subject matter expertise heavy. How do you think that impacts the types of projects you just described happening? Who's doing them at what level of seniority? And how is that impacted by your understanding of the underlying rules that are governing what you can and can't implement, and maybe also your knowledge of market over time. Yeah, the, and the, starting with the last one, the knowledge of market is something that ends up being really helpful, especially when you work at a firm like Ropes & Gray, where you're doing a high volume of these transactions. So you really get a sense of kind of what what companies do, and not only what other companies in the industry do, but a lot of our clients are repeat clients and you know what they have done in past deals and where they've run into issues and in past transactions and you can avoid that in the future. So that becomes really valuable. There is a technical aspect to our practice which makes it a little bit more difficult to hit the ground running as like a first-year associate. There's kind of a steeper learning curve I think having done a little bit of both, that the learning curve is more manageable in doing executive comp and benefits type work than it is with kind of pure tax work. Instead of dealing with the whole tax code, we're really dealing with, you know, a handful of sections that relate to employees. Uh, So we're more limited scope in that way. And then there's, I think, a greater degree of kind of practicality in our job. It's not totally rules-based. There's there's a rules component, but it's not totally rules-based. So that that's where the, the market experience comes in. And I, I think for me, like I, I felt like after I'd been doing it a few years, I had a pretty good sense of what I was doing. And it, it wasn't totally nerve-wracking when I was asked to do something. And that has 
continue to develop, but the, the great thing about ropes is that if a really tough question comes up, there's, there's always someone in the group that I can bring in and talk it through with and um, get, get real expertise from. That's something that the, this series has really highlighted for me, I'll say, in talking to various colleagues over the course of the series, uh, that you know we all rely quite heavily on the deep expertise um, within the firm and on the concept that we all have different you know specific experiences and we can look to those with other experiences to help guide us when we're in a new area. So you're never you're always learning, but you're never floating on your own, which I think is is a huge draw to coming to a place like Ropes, to a, a big firm that has a deep bench and and quite a deep level of expertise in the areas we practice. I think the the scale of the transactions that uh, we work on are are so big, and you need so many advisors to really look at this stuff to do a good job that it it really it really is like a big team and everyone's kind of like working working toward the same goal and it's very collaborative and that that's part of what I really like about doing this type of work is you know being on a team and being collaborative with people I like the collaborative nature of working with other practice groups can you expound a little bit on the distinction between the subgroups within the group that you that we call executive compensation, employment, and benefits. I think you touched a little bit on each, but maybe you could give a, a little more, still staying high level, but a little more color of what the difference is between executive compensation, labor and employment, more classic ERISA work. Sure. So, so benefits is more broad-based employee benefits, and that touches both the tax code and ERISA. And there, there are a few components to that, but I think from... From our perspective, there there are people at the group who work with kind of ongoing clients on their 401k plan and how to design it, and their their health benefits that they offer to their employees generally. And if they have questions on how to uh, fill out their annual returns relating to their their broad-based employee benefits, the industry has moved in a direction where. Uh, a lot of that type of work is being done by like brokers or advisors, and it's become uh, kind of standardized. Where uh, you know a, a Fidelity will have a 401k plan that they draft, and they sell it to a bunch of different companies. And they, if any questions arise, you call Fidelity and not necessarily your lawyer. And as benefits have gotten more standardized and more like that, there is not as big of a component in terms of like M&A transactions. So we still, we as a group will look at 401k plans and health plans and stuff like that in the, in the scope of a transaction, but there don't tend to be as many issues there. So that, that's benefits. Employment is like traditional employment law, and there are a couple different components to that. There, there are a few people who do like employment-related litigation mostly on the company side, where a company gets sued by 
uh, an employee for discrimination or something like that, or there's a part of that practice that helps with like internal investigations. Like if there was, for example, a sexual harassment allegation by an employee, then oftentimes the company will hire a law firm to help them like investigate the incident, uh, come to a conclusion, and potentially like implement training or something to prevent that type of incident in the future. Uh, that's one component to it, and they, they kind of coordinate a lot with the litigation group. The other component is like the, the M&A component, and, and there there's kind of a partially a litigation aspect and that as part of our reviewing, doing due diligence on companies that our, our clients may be interested in acquiring, we're looking at uh, employment-related litigation um, that may be in process or may have happened in the past and kind of assessing litigation risks relating to employment practices. The other part of it is they are reviewing like uh, whether people are classified as an employee or an independent contractor, um, whether someone's entitled to receive like overtime or whether they're on salary, whether restrictive covenants like a non-compete is enforceable things like that. There are usually special provisions in all the transaction documents that deal with that type of stuff. When our client is buying a company, they want to make sure that whoever they're buying it from can't just, you know, start an identical company and compete with them. Or the management team won't be able to just like leave and start their own company or you know, even worse, work for the seller. And there's usually a component of uh, locking up the management team, locking up the seller with non-competes to ensure that our, our clients are able to kind of get the business running without having to worry about competing with the seller or something like that. So that that's employment. And then they're also kind of, driving employment agreements with members of management, and usually after a transaction there is uh, a role with the companies when they have employment-related questions, if they're looking at redoing their policies, if any issues came up during diligence, we'll work with them to get that sorted out and try and mitigate uh, risks that have been identified so that they don't come to fruition. And then executive comp is um, more what I do, and there are a couple components to that. There's the, the transactional component, which I touched on earlier, and a lot of that is uh, dealing with really the top level of employees, the, the top, the like leadership team. And the considerations for the leadership team are a little bit different than for everyone else. Interesting. So it sounds like it's really an interesting mix of commercial considerations layered on top of a regulatory framework. So uh, I bet there's a fair amount of commercial discussions, but also a decent amount of, of legal research or statutory research. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. Especially like when you're more junior in the group, there is a fair amount of research. Um, and it's, it's a really like good way to learn the, the legal framework. And then as you get more senior and you get more of a handle on that, it, it uh, there is more of a 
commercial aspect to it, and along the way, there's there's a good amount of coordination with other advisors. You know, both the client and other advisors. Where usually there are legal advisors, and then there are people looking at things from like an accounting standpoint. Most public companies, at least, have compensation consultants that are aggregating like public information and like presenting a view of like what other companies in the market are doing and all of that kind of like feeds in together to um to what companies decide to do and it 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 ends up being very collaborative do you work directly with the consultant sometimes we work on like a lot of ipos and we we tend to coordinate pretty closely with the consultants on some of what's happening with equity in an IPO more because like we're as much work as we do, they, you know, they do too. So they have a lot of experiences to what other people are doing. And then they also have are specifically like looking for market data and trying to get a sense of uh, what's going on in the market and what's going on with companies in the same industry as our company and the same size, stuff like that. So they, they really have a, a lot of insight that we we like to um, get the benefit of. Interesting. What what excites you about your practice area? There's like a big problem solving component that I really like. I I feel like it. People tend to be more interested in it because a lot of the people we end up talking to it it directly involves them or directly affects them how they're being compensated things like that. We have more, I think, client contact than some of the other specialist groups, and which I I also think is really great. Um, and I I also think it's a little bit more digestible. Our subject matter is a little more digestible to clients than like tax, for example, or some of the other specialty groups. I think it makes those interactions a little bit more rewarding. What did you like more? about benefits than about tax? Uh, it felt more manageable. It it felt like with tax, I just like, there's that saying like, you don't know what you don't know. And I felt like with tax, I just never was confident because, you know, there were 7,000 sections of the tax code. And I didn't know if there was something out there that would... Uh, contradict what I was thinking or things like that. So it, it feels like more manageable in the sense that like I, with most of the questions I get, I know exactly where to look if it's a legal question. I wouldn't have a job if it was as easy as like the answer is right there, but at least like I know where to look and it might be a gray area, but I think it's easier to get a handle on what the issues are at least. It felt like there was more of a human component to it than tax law. With tax law, I just felt like no one ever knew what I was talking about. Um, even if I probably didn't know what I was talking about, and certainly like no one I was talking to knew what I was talking about, and it just felt like kind of isolating that way. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's, it's the same puzzle solving as tax, but in a less esoteric way, and so you're able to communicate more concrete, you know, rather than saying you can't form the entity in this jurisdiction because if you invest in a pass-through and XYZ, then you might, it might result in this withholding tax that you don't understand. You can say more concretely, oh, you're not allowed to not offer 
XYZ health benefit. Yeah. Um, and it requires understanding the the rules, but the outcome is more concrete and and you know feels more tangible to the people you're explaining it to. Yes, exactly. Not yeah, not to bash tax. I I think like tax is very interesting, and and uh, I just think the the learning curve is really steep. It's steep in this area too because it's very like technical and rules based, but I think tax it's a little bit steeper. So can you talk to us a little bit about what mentorship is like within the benefits group at Ropes and the relationships between associates and partners and among associates in the group? Yeah, so uh I think it's it's really great. I I've been here I guess six or so years now, and I, I've had really amazing mentors who uh, are always available, uh, are really supportive in in helping you understand what's going on and, like, growing your career. Um, and I, I think that's true across the group. It is at least for the people I work with, but people tend to be, like, really hands-on, uh, and when I came to Ropes, like I, I was kind of surprised at how available everyone was and how evolved everyone was. And I think it's a really good thing, especially for junior lawyers, to have someone who's really involved because it, it takes a lot of the pressure off when you have someone who knows what they're doing, who is looking at things and is available to answer questions and is not kind of uh, just leaving it to the associate to figure things out and potentially make mistakes. And it's also like really good for the client because I, I get the sense that at a lot of firms, uh, there isn't the level of supervision that there is at ropes. I, I don't know if you feel that way about your practice group, but my sense is that that's pretty true across the groups. I think I do feel that way. I'm sort of torn because at the same time, I also somehow feel like Ropes gives a large amount of responsibility to uh, associates in a way that I've seen, at least compared to my peer firms that I see in the market. I don't see quite as many associates, you know, leading calls, talking on calls, uh, handling the negotiation. Uh, so I, I certainly agree in that I've never felt like I was left adrift, both because I have... I have the partner who's assigned, you know, whose project I'm working on, who it's their client and I'm working with them on it, but also because the group, my group at least, seems to treat everyone like they're a client of the firm, not a client of any particular person. And so I've yeah. always had an easy time finding other partners, even if someone's not available, to just sort of say, hey, general question about XYZ, could you... Uh, give me your thoughts. And so I want to wholeheartedly agree because I do agree, but in my head, I'm struggling with the tension between that and the concept that I've noticed that I get on calls, you know, as a, as a fifth year and I'm leading the negotiation and there's a partner on the other side and an associate who just sits there quietly and says nothing. Uh, and I think that we have, we definitely have the support within the group, but we somehow at the same time have a level of, of trust in associates where the, you know, the hierarchy is not super rigid and it's not like, you know, only the partner gets to do the important things. You know, you, you have the support you need, but you uh, still get the responsibility. At least that's what I found in the fund space. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a really great point because I, I feel the same way too, that there's definitely that responsibility. I think our second-year associates are, are like leading calls. I remember like leading calls when I was a second-year and like, uh, you know, the partner would put on mute and say like, oh, you should make sure to ask about this or something like that. But they were the kind of like there in a support role, but definitely uh, you're you're leading things, you're taking responsibility for things, you're responsible for knowing what you're talking about. So it's a, a good balance. For sure. I, I totally agree. Ta- talk to me a little bit more about uh, your personal time. What, what do you like to do for fun in your spare time? I really like music. I like exercising. I like to travel. Um, the occasional TV show. I like sports. I, I have a lot of interests and uh, it's good that the world is opening up a little bit. <laughs> more after the last year, which I think has been rough on a lot of people. And yeah, I, absolutely. I think like, and it, it took me a while personally to kind of, uh, especially when I started working, to figure out how to balance things, but I, I kind of feel like that gets easier as you go along and are more used to the, the cadence of things and and kind of the, the flow of how how working in a law firm works. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a point that I I have tried in my personal informal mentorship with more junior associates to convey to them that a large part of the burden of the job is burden you put on yourself because you don't understand, rightly or wrongly, but because you don't yet understand the flow of work. And the more senior you get, to some degree, you know, you have some more control, but it's mostly that you have more visibility and understanding of what is going to be urgent versus what is not. And because of that, you're able to sort of prioritize better. And I see it as part of my role as a senior associate to make sure that the people I'm working with understand the priorities and the timelines. But, you know, it, it takes time to develop that skill to be able to identify that on your own. Um, both as a skill and and familiarity with the uh, with the practice area, so I, I think that's a good point that 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 takes time to develop. I think that's that's like totally right, and I th- I think people generally do a good job of communicating that type of stuff. And um, from what I hear, at least, like not emailing you on a Saturday night and asking you to do something if it doesn't need to be done on a Saturday night, or if they do email you, they'll kind of be clear about when when they're asking for comments. I think that's been kind of a, a focus um, for me as I have learned how to like manage junior employees is to do that. And I think it's it's good. I think people generally do a good job with that kind of stuff and uh, communicating deadlines and and things like that. But it is it is something that takes a while to get the hang of both because like judging when you would think that things need to be done and then also like judging how long it will take you to do things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think what you're looking for, well, I won't put words in your mouth, but it's maybe being conscious and conscientious of the impact that the things you send have on other people. And I think that's true in a broad sense, right? I think part of the collegiality here is that as you 
as you sort of grow into your role, one of the things that's stressed to you is to keep in mind the impact of the things you say and, you know, how they how they affect other people regardless of how you intended them. Um, and that can be both, you know, in terms of expressing clearly the timeline because someone's a first-year associate and if you ask them to do something, they're not going to understand that it doesn't mean you have to do it right away. So being clear about it. Um, and also just, you know, I think we're all growing and learning and making sure that when you're conveying feedback, you know, you're, you are conveying feedback in the first place, right, which I think is helpful for people to grow and that you're conveying it always in, in, a, in a manner that helps people grow and acknowledges how someone will receive the, the feedback that you're giving them. Yeah, for sure. That, that's exactly, exactly right. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights into the benefits group. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you found this to be helpful. If there's a specific practice group or area you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please reach out to me directly. I'd love to hear from you. If you're a law student or recent graduate who would like to learn more, please visit our website at ropesgrayrecruiting.com or check us out on Instagram at at ropesgray. You can subscribe to this series wherever you typically listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please look out for future episodes and share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.